0: man was placing some flowers on the grave of his dearly departed mother. As he started back towards his car, he saw this other man kneeling at a grave and he was just beating the side of the gravestone, saying, why, why, why did you have to die? The first man was super intrigued, because this man was being extremely expressive, so he walked over to him, he said, sir, I don't mean to interfere with your grief. I've just never seen anyone mourn like this. <clears throat> was it someone very special to you? Was it your parent? Was it a child? The man collected himself and looked up and he said, No, it was my wife's first husband. <laughs> wait for it. Wait for it. <clears throat> Why did you have to die? Uh, <clears throat> we are. Uh, We're in a series about covenant, and today we'll be talking about covenant marriage. You know, marriages these days are pretty broken. Uh, We have 2.3 million marriages a year, and uh, 41% of those end in divorce within the first eight years. Uh, 41% is a little lower than it used to be. It actually used to be 50%, but the reason why that number is lower is because not as many people are getting married anymore. And so, <clears throat> those that are experiencing divorce and relationships that are being broken up, people who thought they were going to be committed, lived together for all these years, and, but then never did get married and then split up, that percentage is through the roof. And the reason that is, is because we don't do relationships real well. In fact, when you research, you find that one of the key components, the number one reason for split ups and breakups and marriage or, if you will, live in relationship, number one's a lack of commitment to the tune of 73%. They said he just wasn't committed, she just wasn't committed to it. The second big percentage of the reason why is because they said they argue too much. They don't know how to communicate. And the last one the, of the top three, the third one was 55% was based because of infidelity the inability to be faithful to the relationship. The reason why that is the case is because marriages aren't working because we're doing them our way instead of the Creator's way. We're doing them our way instead of the Creator's way, and so when we started into this series last week, we used the term covenant because God does relationships different than we do, and if He designed us, made us, then put us together, not only with himself, but with each other, don't you think the one who designed it knows how it should work? And so over thousands of years of humanity trying to do life with each other, we've gotten some bad habits, and we've gotten away from the core (coughs) of what God intended a relationship should look like. So last week, we taught you about this term, covenant, that God When he identifies his way of doing relationships, in Scripture, he uses a key word, covenant. It's an identification mark. It's like for those of you that drive a BMW, you drive it with pride because it's got BMW on it. The moment you bought it, it was like, yes, there's certain things that your Kia did not have that your BMW has. You bought it with an expectation, it's a Beamer. It's our Mercedes. In fact, the other day, I was driving down the road, and someone had taken a Kia and put a Mercedes emblem on the front of it. (laughs) I got beside it, and I went, (laughs) because I knew if I just bumped it with my elbow, I would dent it right there, you know? Why? Because there's an expectation that comes with the identification, and so what's happened to us is we don't know. God's identification on relationships. So we've got to go back and learn it. We've got to go back and identify it. And I think if we can do that, last week we were teaching you about what covenant with him looks like, what the relationship with him looks like. When he says, I want to be in relationship with you, he's got a different concept than what you have. And you and I have to learn how to drive his his BMW and not our Kia. We've got to learn what it is to be in relationship with him on his terms. And that's called covenant. Today, I want to point out some pieces about our relationship with one another in marriage. This is going to be so good for those of you that are single, for those of you that are not married, for those of us that are married, for those of us that have been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years, this is going to be so good for us. In fact, can I just get a little survey? How many of you are married in the room? Would you just lift your hand? How many of you have been married more than 10 years? Keep your hands up. How many have been married more than 20 years? Keep your hands up. You're breaking stats. Look at you. How many have been more married more than 30 years? Keep your hands up. Wow, King Jesus. How many have been married more than 35 years. We'll go halves. These 35 years. Everyone, look around. You see these hands up? You need to take these people out to lunch. <laughs> keep it on. Keep them up. You need to take them out to lunch and look them in the eye and say, "How did you do it?" And whatever they say, do it and then pay for the meal. That's what you need to do. All right. More, more than 40 years. Let's just keep going. More than 40 years, dear Jesus. More than 50 years, sorry, let's back it up, 42 years, I'll back it up, I went too big leap. I know, 42, 42, 43, good Lord, you've been married more than most of the people in this church been alive. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Magnificent. God bless you guys. Give them a hand one more time, God bless you. <laughs> Single folks in the room, you're not married? single folks in the room. You may be committed, but you're not married. Okay, great. We want to fix that by the end of today. I'm going to make a (laughs) You and you and just God's pretty serious about his covenant. I want to look at the passage that's kind of of rough with God in, in the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book in our Old Testament. In fact, Malachi is the last time God speaks to his people for 500 years. He is so agitated with his people that he doesn't engage with them for 500 years. And then when he does, he sends Jesus to fix it all. And so I wanna look at this passage where God is literally confronting his people on the way they have handled the marriage covenant. So if you'll turn with me to Malachi chapter two, and verse 13, God's going to give us a miracle, and my throat is going to hold up, my voice is going to hold up, and we're going to get the word. As you turn to Malachi chapter 2 and verse 13, he says, another thing I got against you, another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. Give me a little bit more monitor up here, that'll keep me from screaming. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep, and you wail, because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands, and you ask, why, why, God? How come you're not blessing me anymore? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, has not the one God made you. You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces wife, says the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be faithful, unfaithful. So God, literally, he starts talking to him, he says, listen, you keep saying, how come you're not answering my prayer? How come you're not doing this? He says, well, I'll tell you why right now. Because I am, I am, am, I'm a witness. You came before me and said, God, this is the one faithful to till death do us part. And now you've been messing around on her, you've been unfaithful to each other, and the problem is I'm a cosigner on this loan. I came up in the middle and said, okay. I bless it. I'm in it with you. And you've been unfaithful to one another. You're not protecting one another." He says, and that has brought about such destruction amongst the people of Israel. Now, I'm just backing away from you guys. I'm just backing away. God literally is frustrated, and then, and then he says, that's it, you've done this. He, he lists out a whole bunch of things that the children of Israel had done at this time that just broke covenant. He said, you don't even understand the marriage covenant. This is just one little segment in the book of Malachi. There's multiple things that they broke relationship with him. They were unfaithful. They're unfaithful to the covenant relationship with their, with their spouses. They're unfaithful with the covenant relationship with the body of believers. They're just unfaithful. They just broke in covenant all over the place. But in this passage, he points out how they broke covenant between each other in marriage, and he's frustrated with them, and he's agitated with them. And literally, he shuts down his communication for 500 years, and then he brings Jesus. And Jesus says, the Father sent me to restore the relationship, but you're going to come into covenant with me. And as you come into covenant with me, he will heal you and fix you and transform your lives. I want you to understand them. The reason why I read this passage is how serious God is about our covenant relationship with our spouse, our spouse-to-be. I had the greatest advantage growing up. Mimi and Pop and I ended up in a magnificent church with a phenomenal pastor. And as a teenager, I heard my pastor teach on covenant relationship principles. So by the And my wife went to our church. She, She got radically transformed in our church. And so, she was a teenager hearing our pastor teach on covenant relationship principles. So when we got married, we had the right design, because we understood the designer's plan, in place. So, people ask me all the time, you and Miss Jamie seem like you have, like, the perfect marriage. I don't know what the perfect marriage is, but I know what a covenant marriage is. And because I know what a covenant marriage is... I'm following those principles, and as a result, yes, we are blessed, we are favored. I'm telling you what, right now, we've never thought about divorce, not one moment in life. Murder, yes, but divorce, never, never. She's thought about murder many times. I've woken up in the middle of the night, she's standing up, no, she's never done. Today, if you could, with me, whether you're single or married, I want you to know this teaching today is not to shame any of us, because we've all been taught, we've all saw propagated, we've all had pattern in front of us, patterns that necessarily are not God's covenant patterns. So what we have to do is we have to come back, and come back to center and say, Lord, you show me the way it's supposed to be. Listen, if, if you want to know how something works, ask the designer. How foolish am I when I buy an Ikea shelf and think that I can put it together without reading those doggone instructions. I tried it the first time, wasted $100. You got to have an engineering degree to put that doggone thing together. I sat there, the paper's everywhere, and these little, these little wooden pieces that you halfway bang in, and where's the screws? I want to use my screw Go, la. la, la, la. But no, they've got all these little systems and you turn this, just it locks down and you put this. If you put A the wrong way, A doesn't fit with B properly, but they give you instructions. God has given us instructions in his word. If we'll follow his ways, it'll be beautiful, it'll be magnificent, but we keep trying to do it our way. And so if I could, not to shame any of us, not to say, see, see, I don't want you looking over at your husband, but so that we can at least find the design, and then we can start adjusting for our single folks, this is what God's wanting to put in you so that you will be able to go forward in a covenant marriage when the moment is right. Are you there? Say yes. So let me give you principles of a covenant-based, covenant-based marriage. Number one, a covenant-based marriage has mutual commitment. That's one of the key principles of a covenant marriage, a mutual commitment. We both invest in this thing. We both give mutual investment in this thing. See, when we're equally invested, it is the best, it's in the best interest of both parties to make sure it succeeds. See, if I'm in contract versus covenant, when well, I'm just going to, when I do marriage, uh, when, I, when I do weddings. I. I i typically teach on this real quick in the moment of this marriage ceremony. The difference between a covenant and a contract. See, a contract is based on fear. The reason why they get you to sign a contract when you're purchasing a vehicle or a home, because they don't know if you're really going to (laughs) follow up on it. So they're like, all right, sign right here. Because if you don't hold up your part, (laughs) we're going to make you pay. That's not a covenant. That's the opposite of a covenant. The covenant says, if you don't hold up your part, I'll hold up your part. I'm I'm, going to put, I'm committed, I'm so deeply committed, I want to see you succeed. Some of you recently, Pastor Jonathan and I were talking about this, he recently had some hail damage on his house. So he called the insurance company. Insurance came out, they looked at it, and they said, yep, you got hail damage, but it's not enough for us to be able to pay to put a new roof on you on your house. He said he was living. He said, what are you talking about? This is my house. This is my home. I live here. When we came into relationship, you said you would help me protect my home. You obviously don't value as much as I value this home. You're obviously not as committed as I am committed, and to which the insurance company said, right, (laughs) right. So many people approach marriage this way. Listen, it is a mutual commitment where we're both all in or we don't do it. We got to be all in. Sir, can I explain something to you? Some of the little dumb things you do says to her that you're not all in. She, you don't even know you're doing it. You don't even realize that some of the things you said, sweetheart, is ca- causing him to feel like you're not all in. One of the greatest things you could ever do is turn to your spouse and look them in the and say, I'm all in, no matter what happens. I'm going nowhere, I'm all in, I'm committed to this thing. And then this response should be, me too, I'm all in, let's do it. That's the difference between a covenant and a contract. Here's the second big principle in a covenant-based marriage, and that is, surrenders, we surrenders, we surrenders its rights and assumes responsibility. Surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. This is where I see most of the counseling having to go forth. It's over this one principle. He didn't do that right. Yeah, he's stupid. <laughs> she didn't do this right. And that, I have a right for him to do that. It's my right. Well, When you come into a covenant relationship, you surrender your rights. And you assume responsibility for each other. So. We don't go into the relationship to be served. We enter it to serve, just like Christ did, out of love for the sacrifices that are made on our behalf. Pastor Jonathan wanted me to tell you this. He said, I have a pro tip. They've only been married, I think it's 15 years or so, 12, 15 years now. He said, I have a pro tip for all of those that are under 15 years. He says, acknowledge and be thankful for the sacrifices that are made on your behalf. Sometimes we don't do that in our relationship, we're going to say, you, thank you, oh my goodness, baby, Love, thank you so much. I thank you. I, I know sometimes I, I, I really miss it, I'm stupid, I'm a dude, and I just miss it sometimes. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't say thank you, I don't, I don't acknowledge that you have assumed a responsibility that you that probably is more my responsibility. See, if you don't go into a relationship like this in marriage, what happens, bro, when she, What happens if she gets paralyzed? And she can't do all the parts that you thought she was So, most people come into a marriage based on worldly principles, and that is, you're going to do your part, I'm going to do your part, my part, and that's going to make us a better team to to, to win the world, to to do something great in this life. I can't do it, but I can't raise these kids by myself, so I'm going to need you, and you're going to help me raise the kids. See, that in and of itself, as a concept, is based Not on surrendering my rights and assuming responsibilities, that's, that's, that's a division of work labor. You do that part, I do this part. And the problem with that is what happens when they can't do their part, or they don't do their part. That's when most people are like, I'm out. I'm not getting what I need from this, so I'm out. We hear that a lot in counseling. And the reason that is is because they never entered into a covenant relationship, they entered into a contract. As long as it was both mutually beneficial, then we stay in it. But the moment I don't feel like I'm benefiting in as much as you're benefiting, then I won't out. That's not covenant relationship. He said, Oh, that sounds so tough. I know, right? That is, it's called love. And God's going to teach us a lot about that today. See, a covenant includes all, not just the details of a contract, but it's tied to the relationship, not just to the deal. I love you more than I love what I get from you. This is one of the principles in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus because of what he does for you, or do you love Jesus because he's God? This this is called a lordship issue, and that's why a lot of people go to church. That's why it ticks me off when I hear televangelists and people on TV, you know, come to Jesus, he'll give you this, he'll bless you with that, he'll bless you. What happens when you're in a season you ain't getting blessed? Then what? Well, see, they lied to me. My life is not good right now. It doesn't matter. He's still God. You know, my wife, she doesn't treat me like she used to. She's still your wife. You came into covenant relationship. You said, I will do your part and my part, if need be, because I am yours and you are mine. So what if he doesn't? What if she doesn't? That's where trust and complete. Abandonment into the relationship comes into play. And that's why a whole generation don't want to get married. <laughs> Here's the third thing that I would teach you that a covenant marriage is like. And that is we put the interest of the other is in mind. The interest of the other is in mind. It's it's in the forefront of what we're doing. See, the greatest relationship in the world is when two servants get involved and come together. You know what the worst is when two masters are involved, because the two masters are constantly wanting to be served. But when two servants come into relationship, they outserve each other. Honestly, Jamie and I always laugh because the only time we really get in difficult moments in our marriage is when she's trying to serve me and I'm trying to serve her. And I'm like, no, no, no. And we, and uh, baby, I want to do this, and she's like, no, no. And we're like, oh, listen, one of us just needs to receive right now. We really do. That's when we get in the biggest conflicts, is that we're both trying so hard to please the other one that we end up pushing and shoving and don't even realize we're doing it. Interest of the others in mind. All the time, I have to help husbands especially. You know, they say, I I never even saw it coming. I, I never even knew she felt that way. That's because you never paid interest to her or paid attention to her. Have you ever noticed how we use the word pay attention? pay attention. In other words, it's costly. One of the, my frustrations when I'm in restaurants is people who are eating, and they don't pay attention to their six-year-old or their four, four-year-old, and that four-year-old is throwing food at my, over at my table, running over, being so loud I can't have a conversation. And I want to say, hey, either you spank them or I will. But you're making my life miserable because you refuse to pay attention to your own child. And we do this in marriage. We don't pay attention to the other person. We don't even know they feel that way. I can't tell you how many times someone's told me, I had no idea. I had no idea he felt that way. I had no idea she felt that way. Why did you not, how did you not know that? Because their interest, what they were involved in, what they were feeling, what they were going through, did not come up on your value stick. You know, that's not valuable enough to worry about it. As long as we're paying the bills. You may be paying the bills, but she may hate her life. That's, that's not a good marriage. You, you, may actually, you may actually go to church, but you literally — having, he's having such difficulties in relationships, and you never stop to pay attention to that. One of the great pieces of a covenant marriage is the interest of you, my partner, is always on the forefront of my mind. What, what you're going through, what you're thinking, how you're feeling, Jamie and I, we can literally just look at each other and I'm like, I know, right? We'll be sitting somewhere and she'll just go, and I, was like, I know, I was thinking the same thing. We hadn't even said anything. Because I'm always paying attention to her and she's always paying attention to me. In fact, you know what my wife does all the time? All the time she tells me, hey, you need to go play golf or something. You need to go spend money and go spend four hours and go play golf. You say, why would she tell you? She don't want to be around you? No, well, maybe. Um, <clears throat> You know what it is? Because she recognizes as a lead pastor that I get hit so much, not just by the demonic, but the pressures of loving you and your family and larger gatherings of people and trying to, and trying to reach more people. I get so hit. That I absorb all that and that I need time to, su- to just go and just kind of give off some steam, just go hit a golf ball, just go drive a cart around and around in circles on some little, some little thing and chase a little white ball and somehow that's going to fix me. She just knows I've got to have that and she cares more about me being the man of God that I'm supposed to be than the fact that she doesn't have me for four hours and I just went and spent, you know, 20 bucks. She's like, you're... You being strong, you being healthy is valuable to me because if you're not healthy, we're not healthy. If you don't have what you need, then I don't have what I need. We are a team. We are one. All the time. All the time I tell her, baby, just go spend all our money on whatever you want. She's like, what? You've never said that. Not once. (laughs) I always say it like this. If you want to know how much of a man of God he is, look at his wife. Yeah, if she's burnt out, if if she's hurting, he's not made an investment in her. He's made an investment in everybody else. He's not had her interest in the forefront. You want to know how great of a man a guy is? He, is he's a, you like him so much? Let's look at his wife. Is she, is she healthy? Does she feel cared for? Does she feel protected? Interest of the other is in my That's covenant relationship. Here's the fourth principle in covenant relationship, and that is, it builds together what is lacking. Everybody say, aha, because uh-huh. you're about to have a moment like that an aha moment. In a covenant relationship, we build together what is lacking. Can I, can I just explain this to you? When you first get married, you don't even know what you're lacking. In fact, you think you got it all together, especially millennials, because you went and researched something. Because you read a book, you watched a three-minute podcast, and now you're an expert. Because you've been looking at porn since you were 12, so you think you know about sex. I mean, you got all. You, you think you got it all, and then you get married, and three weeks into it, you're like, "This is terrible. It's not working." So and so said to do this, and that's not working. Can I just help you? <laughs> the beauty of marriage is that even though you have instructions, you still have to build it. And the process of building it, you make mistakes. It didn't make sense. Some other person said, the Bible says blah, 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 and you're like, I don't even, how does that fix this? We, Jamie and I, we've lived in this little house here in downtown Cedar Hill for the last few years. We just, this year we purchased a new house and my son now lives, and some other guys in the church live in the house. But we bought this little house, and <clears throat> and uh, when we bought it, it was really beat up. It was really rough, and we commenced to fixing it up. and And uh, the house was actually built in the nineteen thirties, and um, and it was when it was originally built, it was probably you know a little seven hundred square foot house. Uh, as I understand it, it was over by Love Field, and this little couple bought it and had it moved in the fifties to Cedar Hill. It was their little first house, this little couple. And they begin, as they begin to build their family, you know, they begin to add on to the house. Well, you know, fast forward years later, Jamie and I are, we have the house and we're fixing it up it's, so it's an older house. And uh, one day we're out in the yard, you know, working in the yard, something like this, and this car keeps circling our house. And finally, we stop and we go out there and out on the road and said, you guys need something?" And this older couple, sitting there, and, and they just, they're crying. <laughs> the guy, he's probably in his, I don't know, 50, 60, something like that, said, I grew up in this house. We're like, oh, okay. He goes, my dad, my mom, they moved that house from over at Love Field. He began to tell us a story. I was like, oh, okay. He goes, and then in 1970, we added that little side room on. I was like, yeah, that, I was wondering where that came from. And, um, and then, and then, of course, you know, dad busted the pipes and doing that, so we flooded it, and so we had to remodel the kitchen. I was like, oh, yeah, I can tell. And, um, <clears throat> and then in the 80s, you know, because by that time, you know, my brothers and sisters had come along, uh, we added that whole big back section in the second level, and my dad did it all himself. I was like, yeah, yes, he did. He, he <laughs> definitely did it all himself. And, and, and the guy's just sitting there crying. The memories of his mom and dad building this thing together stumbling through the process, making mistakes, but the memory as their son of all the life that happened as they built it together. Friend, you don't come into a marriage perfect. You don't come into a marriage with everything you need. In fact, as you grow, your first year of marriage, you're just happy. You're getting to have sex, and God's okay with it now because you're in marriage. First year of marriage, you're just like, man, listen, it's cheaper. You find out it's cheaper to be together than when we were dating. It costs us a fortune. Now we don't have to eat out. This is awesome. I mean, and then all of a sudden you get into it your first year or so, and but you're going through conflict and you're like, man, I can't believe she doesn't clean like I thought she was. Her car was always clean, but I can't believe she doesn't really clean. And she's looking at you like, really? 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 I'm the only one that cleans around here? I've got a job too. What's wrong with you, stupid? And so you're working all those things out and you're building a marriage. You don't inherit a marriage. You build it. And then second or third year into it, maybe kids come along or maybe you had kids brought them into this thing, and now all of a sudden you got to build that segment. And you stumble, and you, and you, and you tear it up, and you got to replace the sheetrock. That is covenant relationship. It's, you know what, we're going to build it together. We don't have what we need, so we're going to build it together. My little wife inherited a man. When we got married, before pop came along, the men and authority in my life had always done me dirty. My grandfather abandoned my grandmother, my natural father abandoned Mimi and I. Pop came along, he was the first man to be faithful and consistent. But you want to talk about abandonment issues, you want to talk about men and authority issues. So. Our first church that we were on staff at, man, we gave our whole life to that church. We gave every ounce of blood, every ounce of plasma. And then one day, they looked at us and said, it's not enough. And they kicked us to the curve. Jamie's now married to that guy with those issues. And so she has a choice. Do I build with him in this season? Or do I go look for another?" Well, she's not looking for another because she's in covenant relationship. And so she's telling me things like, hey, I think you ought to go talk to that gentleman over there. I think he might have some help for you. And I'm looking at her like, I don't trust anybody in leadership. I'm not asking that guy for help. We can do this on our own. She has to sacrifice to be in covenant relationship with me. Jamie's natural father wouldn't show up. He was supposed to come pick her up in the summertime. She'd sit at the end of the driveway waiting for Daddy to come get her. Instead, he'd go off and do something else and forget about her. I inherited that. She she was saved, full of the Holy Ghost when we got married. But don't think that that wasn't in the closet. Just like don't think that my fear, my insecurity of men and authority wasn't in the closet. We had to build. Trust. We had to build through the fears and the anxieties, and I recognized she had trust issues within the first few years of marriage. So you know what I did? I went about building trust. She knew where I was at every moment of the day. When I said I was gonna be there, I was there, and I was there early. She recognized he's got some issues with men in leadership, so you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to be patient with him. I'm not going to push him. I'm going to come alongside of him and help him. This is covenant marriage. Wait, he's got problems? Yes, he has problems. I didn't know he had those problems. Welcome to marriage. I didn't know she was messed up like that. Welcome, But you made a covenant. So, the covenant says "It's all right, baby girl, we're going to build through, we're going to remodel this together. And it's going to look like what we want it to look like. It's going to look like Jesus intended, even though right now it's gross. And I don't even want to invite anybody over. We're going to build through and to, together, we're going to build it together. This little house, to have this little man sitting out in our driveway, just crying. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, you do realize this house ain't worth nothing, right? Like, I know it's precious to you, but as far as, you know, what everyone else sees, it. see it may not be valuable to everybody else, but it's precious to Jamie and I, because it's ours. We went through that together. We fought through that together. We overcame that together. It was a work in process, and we worked it, and we worked it, and we worked it until we got it built. And it may not be beautiful, and it may not be perfect, but it's ours. This is what's lacking in most relationships. Nobody wants to work it through until it's something beautiful that they did together. Build it together. Amen. Number five. Here's the fifth and last piece. I told you you'd have an aha moment. Number five, always loves. Covenant marriages, always loves, and I use it like that on purpose, because I'm going into 1 Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13, look what it says. God is defining his imagery of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. So he's explaining what love is. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And then he moves into the always's. Let me tell you what love, uh, you say you love her? Well, let me tell you what the always is of love always do. They always protect, always trust. I don't trust him, always trust, always protects, always hopes, always perseveres. He lists us the always of a covenant marriage. When it comes to loving one another, we always protect each other. She has never embarrassed me in front of people. She always protects my little self-worth, always. And when she's made mistakes of that, or I've made mistakes, and she can't and I preached something and I thought it was cute, and she's like, that embarrassed me. It might have been a good little sermonette, but it embarrassed me, it shamed me. And I get down on my knees, I say, I'm so sorry, have mercy on me, because I wasn't using the always properly. Always protects. Always trusts. Bro, do you know why she doesn't trust you? Because you haven't built trust. You can't get an always trust if you won't work towards building it. And say, you know what, I know in the past that I wasn't trustworthy. That's a big, huge spot in this house. It's a big hole in the floor. But I'm gonna start building that back right. Would you help me build trust in you again? Show me how I can do it. And then you build that trust. And she says, all right, I want you to cancel every Facebook uh, account that you got. Yes, ma'am. Here they are. Ta-ta-ta-ta-ta. All right, I want, I, want you to put, I want you to put an app on your phone so I can see where you're at all the time and you can see where I'm at all the time. Done. Why? Because I'm building that trust. Because I always want to protect. I always want to trust. I always want to hope, and it always perseveres. Do you know what'll fix it all? Love. Say, he did me wrong. You're right, that is wrong. But love always perseveres. She wasn't right in that. You're right, she shouldn't have done that. She should not have went to Vegas with her friends. That is not cool. Do you love her? I love her. Then persevere, because it always perseveres. See the difference in that and the contract? She broke contract. One of the ways I always encourage couples to define whether or not they're in a contract or a covenant, I'm about to make you so mad. You can always tell when they have two separate finance accounts. She's got her money, he's got his money. What that is is saying, I don't completely trust us yet, and if we bring our money together, you may get more of my money, you may be a bum and you're not working enough blah, 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 blah. You got all, these are issues that need to be resolved. You need to determine whether you want to be in a covenant relationship or not. You say, well, pastor, it just works better for us. So be it. God bless you. But it is a sign of distrust. Just telling you. It's a sign of distrust. You know what else is a sign of distrust? Is that you got friends that she doesn't know about. That you have text messaging going on with someone that he's, he doesn't know you're texting. Were he to ask, what is that? You wouldn't tell him the whole truth of who it is. That's a sign that something in there is not always love, because covenant relationship always loves. Baby, look at this right here. Look at this person who just hit me up on Facebook. What the heck does she think she's doing? I don't care if we dated in high school. You dead to me, girlfriend. Not just, oh, my God, I don't want my wife to see that. Let me do quickly. Nah, come here, baby. Look at this crazy girl. She crazy as a, she crazy as a loon. <laughs> James, I can't tell this publicly. Let's move on. You, I almost went there. <laughs> you heard her <a> laugh. One time I got hit up on Facebook by somebody. I never even knew about it. <laughs> 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 never even knew about it. Six months later, she said, yeah, she reached out to you. I said, did you handle it? She said, I got it done. I said, go ahead, girlfriend. I know that covenant may sound difficult. It is God's design, and it may sound difficult, especially if you're coming from a contractual concept, a worldly way of doing marriage. So can I give you a little bit of hope today? Let me give me two thoughts. It can be done. It can be done through love. So let me give you a couple of two thoughts on how this can be done. Number one, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. Okay? So, So, I just need you to understand this. You say, this is so hard, I can never do that with him, I can never do that with her. You can. You say, I do love him. Well, good. You can make good choices to bring this covenant relationship back online. Let me give you a scripture reference for that, Colossians 3.14. He's listing out all these amazing virtues, and he closes it out, and I'm I'm, I'm just pulling the snippet of Colossians 3.14 for you. It says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Do you hear? With the writer of Colossians, what God himself is telling us, that we can put on love. You can put it on. I don't like you right now, but I love you. I don't like anything you just did right now. You are wounding our marriage, but I put on love. I supernaturally make a choice, by God's grace, to love you and try to understand you and I wanna work towards building this through. If you've ever had a home that's had damage, if you've ever had a home that had to be remodeled, let me just help you explain again this concept of covenant marriage. You're gonna have moments in your marriage where the ceiling's falling down in that back room, where the water damage from the tub upstairs has affected everything below. You're going to have moments in your marriage where you find black mold behind the sink and it's going to have to be remediated. There are going to be moments in your life and your marriage where things have changed and you're going to have to remodel according to the change. You're still trying to use 1970s furniture and we're living in 2019. You're going to have to make changes and you got to do it together. You got to build it together. That old guy said it one time like this. He said, We were sitting in counseling, and she goes, he doesn't love me. He doesn't love me. And finally, after a few minutes, he goes, I do love you. She goes, you never tell me. He said, I told you 35 years ago when we got married, and I didn't change my mind, so I think it was worth saying again. You know what his problem was? Life is changing, and he stopped building with the changes. You're going to constantly be building, working on your marriage. Jamie and I are constantly working on it. We're constantly going, we got to fix this. We didn't mean for this, it was just life. If you drive that car without ever putting oil in it, you're going to blow up the engine. Yep. you got to do maintenance. you got to change things out. You've got you to fix it and work on it and build upon that house to make it a home. The first way is put on love. Here's the second truth that I would teach you, say, this seems so hard. Yep. It could be, unless you understand the second big truth on how to do this thing, and that is the capacity to love comes from receiving love. The kind of love that forgives, that always protects, that always hopes, you can't do that in your own strength. I can't do that in my own strength. That love, that capacity to love like that, comes from receiving God's love every moment of the day. Some of you don't know how to receive His love. I fall on my face every morning, every night, all throughout the day and say, God, I need you. I cannot do this. Help! Help! And then I sense the flood of His love and acceptance. And then He gives me the ability to love and accept when I don't feel like they deserve it but I don't feel like they, they're worthy of it. I've seen my wife literally put on love. I could see it in her eyes like, I'm going to kill you. I, I can't stand you right now. And I've watched her put on love, and I've watched her go get on her face before God, come out of her prayer and say, I love you so much. I'm like, where'd you get that from? Jesus, he helps me <laughs> to love you because I don't, in myself, I don't love you right now. But Jesus is helping me to love you right now. It's supernatural. I love you so much as your pastor. And there's nothing worse than to try to walk through with people the brokenness of marriage relationships. It's hard for the kids, it's destructive for your future. Financially, it's unbelievable how bad it is. God never intended us to bust up our relationships. I've seen people that didn't even know each other come together in covenant marriage and build the most beautiful marriage I've ever seen. I, I, I know multiple Indian, from India, whose parents put them together, didn't even know each other, and have some of the greatest marriages ever. So feelings and emotions, they don't necessarily build great marriages. Choosing to love builds great marriages. Putting on His love when you don't have love builds great marriages. And I leave you with this statement, Covenant is an exchange of persons. When I come into covenant relationship with Jamie, I exchange myself for her. She exchanged herself for me. In other words, Adam McCain died that day at the altar, and I became the husband covenant partner, the covenant bearer, the protector of Jamie McCain. Jamie Anglin died that day. And she became Jamie McCain. She gave up who she was to take on me, and I gave up who I was and what I wanted to take on her. The old buddies that i go play softball with, they were no longer important. Yeah, I kept my friends, I didn't throw them all out, but they never took precedence anymore. Because she became what was most important, and I became what was most important to her. We exchanged persons, and in that, supernatural marriage happens. That is a covenant relationship. Would you stand with me all across the room? Thank you, guys. Some of you are so grateful that I'm having trouble with my voice, because I can't speak fast whenever my voice doesn't work. All my international... Members go, Pastor, you speak so fast, oh my God. That's how I get a one-hour message into 35 minutes. I want you to do me a favor for just a moment, I want you just to bow your heads. I could see God speaking to you through this little message, revealing to you truths that maybe you didn't know before. Maybe you've forgotten, or maybe that you have not kept in the forefront. I could see it in you. I pray for every single man and woman in this room, every divorcee, every single mom, single dad, every young person. I pray that the truth of what a covenant looks like would sink down in your soul. You say, That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for my marriage. And that you begin to develop those skill sets now, so that when the moment arises, you'll be more prepared. In fact, if you're a single person, maybe even a divorcee, or I know that this marriage, this marriage teaching can sometimes feel shameful for those of you that have been through divorce. That's not God's intent and that's not my intent. I want you to know that in God there is fullness of joy and that He takes the broken things of our life and He makes them new. And though you may have gone through divorce, you may even be in separation right now, God is working on your behalf. He loves you. And divorce and separation is not the unforgivable sin. I know somebody who's told you that. But it's not. God can restore and renew. For those of you that maybe are single because you lost your spouse, I want you to know that God is there with you now and that he's strengthening you in times of loneliness. And then for those of us that are married, I want to challenge you in today's teaching. Go back to the five principles this week and look over them and see where you can adjust. Go back to building together again. Instead of building your little room on the side, your little man cave, and she's just building her little she shed off to the side, how about we come back and we build this marriage together? There's some things that are lacking, you gotta build it. There's some things that are destroyed, we gotta remodel it. There's some things that are old and musty, and they've gotta be thrown out and refreshed with new things. Father, I thank you for every man and woman in our church. I thank you that they love you, that they want you, and that, Lord God, as you teach us the principles of how you did relationships, what you made us to be like, that, Lord God, when we realize, wait a minute, who I am doesn't line up with who may, what he made me to be. Uh, what we have in our marriage is not what he, what he set in motion is what a marriage is supposed to be like. And, and so, Lord, as we, as we even now take on the concepts of how to adjust and how to maneuver and, and how to come into right alignment with your concepts of covenant marriage, I pray for grace. I pray for love. I pray that we'd all just put on love. Oh. For our spouse, Lord God, that you would give us supernatural love as we receive your love that we can then give that love and walk in that love, even when they don't deserve it. Now, if you keep your head bowed for just a moment, I'm just enthroned, or enthralled, excuse me, with the concept that while I was yet a sinner, Christ loved me. I'm remembering back how I couldn't love people before I became a Christian. I didn't. I saw everyone is trying to get something over on me. I I couldn't let people get the upper hand. I couldn't let people manipulate me. It made me so mad. And then once Jesus came into my life and he gave me love and forgiveness about my sin, it then gave me the ability to love and forgive others. It was unbelievable. Today, if you lack that love, you say, I don't have the love of God in me, Pastor. Is it because maybe you haven't accepted his forgiveness? Is it because maybe you've not Come into covenant relationship with Jesus. Have, maybe it's because you played. Excuse me, you've gone to church, but you haven't become the church. Maybe it's because you've never really committed yourself to Jesus and let Him be Lord of your life. If you think that's the case, in fact, maybe you would say it like this, Pastor. I got to be honest. If I died today, I don't think I would go to heaven. Hey, we can fix that right here, right now. You don't have to give money to the church to be forgiven. You don't have to do good deeds to be forgiven. Can I tell you what the Bible says? He says, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, he says that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so today, if you're away from God, you don't have his love abiding in you, you've not allowed him to be Lord of your life, would you let me lead you in a prayer of repentance? Would you let me introduce you? Could we repent together and ask Jesus into our life? Would you let me help you with that? I'd like to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. You say, Pastor, that is so where I'm at right now. I need God in my life. I need to change. I need. I need. To, I need to repent. With no one looking around, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If that's you, would you let me pray for you? I won't call you forward. I'm not going to point you out. But you and I need to know that we're praying together, and heaven needs to rec- recognize that you're serious about this. And so today. If you're away from God, you want to become a Christian, you want God's love abiding in you, you want to repent of your sins, would you let me pray with you? If that's you, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, that's me right now. I need to repent. I need you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, bro. Anybody else? Quickly, throw your hand up. Make sure I see it. I'm not going to belabor the point. I'm not going to pull and tug. I'm not going to beg. I just want to give you an opportunity to know God today and repent of your sins. Anyone else? Give you about two more seconds. Quickly make sure I see it. Amen. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in that prayer, that prayer of repentance, that prayer of dedication, that prayer of making Jesus your Lord and Savior. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of those who have lifted their hand. Those of you that lifted your hand, mean it, man. Come on, sweetheart. Mean it from the depths of your heart. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today, I admit... I'm a sinner, and I've sinned against you, but I ask you now to forgive me and wash me clean. I accept what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. I ask you now to fill me with your love. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? Father, I pray for those who just called out to you, who repented of their sins, who declared you as their Lord and Savior. I pray right now they would feel your peace and your joy. And that, Lord God, from this point forward, they're going to realize, oh, I'm not perfect. Oh, my goodness, I went and did that same stupid sin again. But, Lord, I thank you that they'll have a revelation that they're forgiven. And they may not be perfect, but they're forgiven, and they may stumble and fall, but they're your son now. They're your daughter now, and that you will pick them up. You will carry them across the gold line, and that no weapon formed against them will prosper. <coughs> Jesus, I ask you now to complete your work in each marriage, <coughs> in each single person, that we would know what it is to walk in covenant. We ask you for your strength as we step out into that. In Jesus' name.